Good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Compass Church. I'm sure we have visitors. We always do. We want you to know that you are very welcome, and we are delighted that you're here. So, so glad. Believe it or not, this is our last week of the swarm, this three-week study of hardship, of the, of the upside of hardship, out of the book of Joel. And uh, this does begin for me, which is a very dear tradition that I've embraced, and that is a four-week study break. Now, I'm engaged in some church activities, but the elders graciously give me some time off to focus on the preparation for the preaching for the coming year, and so I'm excited about that. Please be in prayer for me as uh, you think of me during that time, because I'm really going to be seeking to grow spiritually myself and to hear God's heart. He wants to do much in us and through us in the coming 12 months. And I will tell you, uh, we are going to be blessed by the guest preachers who come in. Michael Rydelnik is actually preaching twice, next week and then the last week of my break. And then we've got Ed Stetzer, who is an unbelievably prolific writer, the new director of the Billy Graham Center for Evangelism. He's going to be in here, a friend of mine, just a great guy. Uh, Phil Vischer, the founder of Veggie Tales, kind of a creative genius, has got a message that he's, I've already heard that is just uh, so, so unbelievably powerful. So let's just say it. It's, the preaching's going up in the next few weeks. It's going to be fun. Yeah. That said, let's try to do our best here. So let's, let's uh, transition into our message by uh, me sharing a little thing that happened on Father's Day. A couple weeks ago, we were visiting my folks in Wisconsin, and my, my little boy, Jake, came up to his Uncle Dave, my brother, and said, Uncle Dave, would you teach me to fish? Jake had seen fishing on TV. <laughs> and Jake's like, that's awesome. You know, on TV, they show all the good parts of fishing, right? And he's like, oh, you know, he saw these guys reeling in and big fish jumping. And Jake just got enamored with that. And he knew his Uncle Dave was passionate about fishing. So Dave said, sure, I'd love to teach you how to fish. Jake. So they went out onto the pier, and my brother hooked up a line with a bobber and a worm and cast it out for Jake and then handed him the pole. And Jake's like, do I start pulling it in? And Dave's like, no. Jake's like, what do I do? Dave's like, you stand there. You stand there, Jake, real still. Like this? He's like, yeah. And then my brother's like, now watch the bobber, Okay. What am I looking for? You know, my, my brother's like, keep watching. Jake has got severe attention deficit disorder and hyperactivity. And a bobber is an apparatus of torture to a kid in my brother's situation, or my son's situation, excuse me. Uh, Jake is like, just stare at it? You know, and a butterfly would come by, and Jake's like, and he's like, no. Dave's like, look at the bobber. I'm trying, Uncle Dave. <laughs> Jake said... And uh, Jake's like, I can't look at the bobber anymore. Keep looking at it. Okay, you know. At one point, Jake was like, Uncle Dave, I think I'm done fishing. <laughs> and Dave's like, Jake, you can't be done. And he looked, my son looked to me like, help, Dad, help. You know, this is torture. Well, Dave said, Jake, if you'll just hang in there, eventually the bobber will drop. You'll see it go beneath the surface, and that's the signal 
of the moment you've been waiting for. That'll be the moment the fish is on the line and you'll get to reel it in. So Jake, hang in there. Well, Jake did. You know, it probably wasn't that long, but to him it seemed like an eternity of staring, you know, at this bobber. But he caught his first smallmouth bass. Here's a picture of, of my son. Uh, isn't that great, huh? <laughs> Uncle Dave told him, Jake, you've got to put your finger in the mouth. I don't want to do that. Well, everybody who catches a fish has to do that. And so you can tell he's not thrilled about that, but... <laughs> Folks, it dawned on me that this experience of Jake's first fishing is is a picture of life. A lot of times, life is enduring torture. A lot of times, we have hardship that comes our way, and we're staring at the bobber going, how much longer can I do this? I am just sick of this. And you know, the message of Scripture is, hang in there, persevere, because the bobber will drop. The moment of blessing will come. This message is entitled, Light at the End of the Tunnel. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. Better circumstances lie ahead. This too shall pass. All suffering is temporary. Hang in there. And as we're going to see, that's the message of the passage we're about to study. The people of Israel have been suffering under a horrific plague of insects. The swarm of locusts, remember these grasshoppers come in a cloud of billions and they mow down everything crop-wise. And these people have been in multiple years of famine and destitution as a result of this onslaught of these insects. And God speaks to them saying, guys, hang in there. It's about to end. Ready? So here we are. Luke, um, Luke, Joel 2, verse 20. Joel 2, 20. God speaking. He says, I will drive the northern horde. And the word horde actually can be translated swarm. It's a reference to that mob of insects. I will drive the northern horde far from you. I will push it into the parched and barren land. Its eastern ranks will drown in the, red, or the Dead Sea. Its western ranks will drown in the Mediterranean Sea. And its stench will go up. Its smell will rise. Now, you've probably never smelled a billion dead, decomposing insects. Uh, I haven't either. I've been told by those who have that it is horrific stench. And yet, as awful as that smell is, it was pure joy to the people of Israel because that stench told them, your days of suffering have come to an end. You have endured a horrible season and it's now over. The light at the end of the tunnel has come. Isn't that beautiful? Let's read on. Surely, he, being the Lord, surely he has done great things. So do not be afraid, land of Judah. Be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. Has, or do not be afraid, you wild animals, for the pastures in the wilderness are becoming green again. 
The trees are bearing their fruit. The fig and the vine yield their riches. Be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains because he is faithful. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain, uh, with grain vat. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. Folks, what an incredible passage of scripture. To these people who have been suffering for so long, the pronouncement of the end of this horrific season brings great comfort to them and us as well. Let me just state it frankly. Your suffering is temporary. Now, I want to acknowledge that in some cases, the removal of the suffering does not occur until we get to heaven. Uh, Many cases, it is seasonal here on earth, and we will enter better times circumstantially. But it's important to know that either way, we can say, this too shall pass. What you're dealing with is temporary, and there is encouragement in that. If it's only for a time, by God's grace, we can all endure it. Now, it's more, though, this passage is more than a declaration that the stench will rise, the bobber will drop, and the hard times will end. It's more than that. It also says in this particular verse that God, more than just ending the suffering, is promising to repay for the losses. Do you notice this? Have you ever seen this verse before? This concept is staggering in its implication. God says, I will repay you for the years that the locusts have eaten. Uh, people uh, back then thought, does the Lord know how much we've suffered? Does he know how we've lost years of our lives in agony? How we lost possessions, how we lost relationships as people died of the famine? Does the Lord see how our businesses, our careers have shriveled up? The answer is yes, God sees it. And he says that in his grace he is moved with compassion and is planning on repaying, on blessing them so outrageously that the blessing will compensate for the losses suffered in the years past. Isn't that interesting? Folks, you say, is this a promise? Well, it's a promise that the heart of God acts this way. You can't tell the Lord, here's my time frame you've got to repay me by, and here's my way that you've got to repay me by. We, we don't call the shots. But if you want to know what God does, this is what God does. And whether it's blessing in this life or the next or a combination of both, in the end, God's people will say, Lord, Lord, I have been so richly blessed that I've forgotten my losses because of what you've done. What a picture of God's heart. And I, do you see the grace in it? It'd be one thing if God was repaying them for suffering of innocence. But they're not innocent. Remember, this plague was because of their rebellion and their abandonment of God. It was divine discipline. They deserved this. And still God says, 
I'm going to repay you. That's the gracious heart of God. You know, uh, it reminds me of this Make-A-Wish Foundation. You know, kids suffering with life-threatening diseases and this organization that says, I just want to bless those who have suffered much. That's, that's the heart of God. Uh, God says, I want to bless those who have suffered much. What, what are your locust years? What season of life did you just lose because of suffering? What career ambitions were lost and came to naught? What possessions were lost? What people were lost? We've all got locust years. And to hear God with gentle tenderness whisper in your ear, hey, I'm aware of what you've lost. My heart breaks for you because you're my child. I love you. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to repay you for all that you've lost. Folks, that's just incredible. I met a guy this week who's living this out presently. Uh, I was down in Bolingbrook at New Song Church. I think you're aware. If you're not, let me tell you. We're in a sacred journey right now where our daughter church, New Song Church in Bolingbrook, is considering merging with us, becoming part of our church. It would be the Bolingbrook campus of the Compass Church. They're praying about that. Let's continue to pray for them and for us as we contemplate this. But I was down there talking with some folks and I bumped into a guy named Marty. Marty came up to me in the lobby. Here's a picture of me and Marty. Marty uh, introduced himself and he says, Jeff, I love New Song and I'm enthused about this opportunity we've got. He said, Jeff, can I tell you my story? Marty, I'd love to hear your story. And Marty said, all right, here's what happened. He said, I I, I like alcohol. And I drank a little bit, and then I drank a little more, and I didn't even realize it, but the next thing I know, I was addicted to alcohol. He said, I became, he goes, I'll say it, an alcoholic. And he said, it destroyed my life. He said, my alcoholism ended my marriage of 33 years, divorced over. He said, my marriage, I lost my kids. He goes, I have a precious son and daughter. And because I was so messed up, they wanted no part of me. And I lost all contact with my kids. He said, I lost my job, lost my money. He said, I lost my house. He said, I became homeless. He said, for eight weeks, I was living out of my car. And he said, in a place of absolute desperation, I I turned to the only organization I knew that would help, and that's Wayside Cross Ministries. Maybe you know of Wayside Cross. They're a rescue shelter in Aurora, a partner ministry of our church. I had the privilege of speaking at their annual fundraiser back in May. Incredible ministry. And Wayside Cross took Marty in, and he lived there for two years. And he heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He heard that all of his past failure could be forgiven And that he could be given, you know, the Bible, Jesus talks about being born again, a new start in life. And he said, that's what I need. And he trusted Christ to forgive his sins. He trusted Christ to lead his life. He said, Lord, boy, have I done a poor job leading my life. You take over, Jesus. And in that moment, he was radically saved, filled by the Holy Spirit, given the strength to overcome his addictions. He's been sober for nine years now. And Marty 
left, uh, he left Wayside Cross. He joined New Song Church. And then he gets this gleam in his eye. In fact, I think I can see the gleam right there. He says, I've met a wonderful lady here at church named Carol. She loves Jesus. We've fallen in love. I've proposed marriage. And in October, we will be wed, he tells me. And I'm like, whoa, dude, that's awesome. And he said, and Jeff, uh, I got a job. I got a house. He said, I've been reconciled to my son. In fact, he'll be the best man in my wedding. I've been reconciled to my daughter, and she will be a bridesmaid. My grandson will be ring bearer. My granddaughter will be flower girl. He said, I thought my life was over, but God gave it back. And I'm like, that's the locust year stuff going on right there. You know, Marty would say it was his doing. He brought on the locust in his life through his folly, and it took away everything. But in Christ, he returned to the Lord. And the Lord is now blessing him with great circumstances again. God saw, God was filled with compassion, and he has a chance to do it again. This principle is true. The Lord says, I will repay you for the years that the locusts have eaten. Now, As awesome as that is, I have to warn you, it's also dangerous. And you say, what are you talking about dangerous? Folks, good times are very spiritually dangerous. In fact, it has been said that prosperity is far more dangerous than adversity. And I think I agree with that. So many people who have found the Lord and are so close to him in times of despair drift away. When circumstances get good. So do we celebrate the light at the end of the tunnel? You bet, celebrate it. But also beware, those good times can have spiritually detrimental results. Here, I'll illustrate that by turning to a verse in Hosea. Hosea is another minor prophet. We're only going to be there shortly and bounce back to our Joel passage. But allow me to read verse 6 because this shows the danger of prosperity. God speaking, he says, when I fed them, so this is a similar situation to the people in Joel's day. They had been without, they had been hungry, but now God gives them plenty, so they are well fed. When I fed them, they were satisfied. And when they were satisfied, they became proud. And then they forgot me. Isn't that true? Do you see how that happens? It happens so much. In our season of trial and hardship, we cling to God desperately and say, we need you. And then comes along a time of relative ease, and we say, oh, good times are here again. My soul is satisfied with the pleasantness of my circumstances. And then we make the mistake of becoming proud. We give ourselves credit for our pleasant presence pleasant circumstances. We say, look what I have earned. Look what I've accomplished. And the result is, I don't need God. We don't intentionally say, I don't need God. We just drift away from focusing on him. It's so common. It happens all the time. Uh, And it's dangerous. And so what do we do about this danger? 
what we do about this danger is here. I'll put up verse 23. Back to Joel 2.23. This is actually the middle of the verse. And this simple little passage has within it the secret, the key to avoiding the spiritual demise associated with good times. Because it doesn't have to destroy your walk with God. Tends to, doesn't have to. Here's what you can do. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains. Should you celebrate good times? Good times are here again. Can I celebrate? Yes. But do you celebrate the gift or the giver? You celebrate the giver. Rejoice in God, recognizing that he has given you the autumn rains. You see the key? The key is saying every time there's a shift, every time the light at the end of the tunnel comes and I enter times of ease and prosperity, I will recognize that the Lord is the one who has given this good season. And I will turn and rejoice of him for what he has given. Do you see that? So essentially, good times, autumn rains, times of prosperity, can result in self-satisfaction and pride, or it can acknowledge that it's all from God and result in praise. And if it results in praise, your relationship with the Lord can continue to flourish, even in times of prosperity. I'll share with you how all of this, this uh, the Lord repays the years for the broken, the years the locusts have eaten, and this rejoice in the Lord. Where it comes in my life, years ago, Jen and I dealt with a great hardship called infertility. Uh, we wanted to have kids, and we couldn't. Jen and I, when we got married, we just wanted a family. It was one of the things that we were so passionate about. She was an elementary school teacher. I was a youth pastor when we got married. We were both lovers of kids. And so we're like, let's build a family. And then shocked when it didn't happen. And we sought medical treatment, went to the best fertility doctors, and nobody could help us. And the, the pain of infertility, so many of you have dealt with it. Those who have not, you, you'll have to trust me. The, the, the monthly disappointment when your hopes are raised, and maybe this is the month, and our dream is going to happen, and no, is just devastating. And Jen and I entered a season of darkness where we clung to each other and wept month after month after month. And yet... As awful as that darkness was, there came a spiritual connection to the Lord. In our pain, we turned to Jesus and we said, Lord, we're dying. Help us fill the hole in our hearts. And this connection with the love of God is what sustained Jen and I through that season. They were the worst of times and yet in some ways the best of times because of how tight we were with the Lord. And then we got pregnant. Out of the clear blue with uh, no medical assistance, God radically ended our famine. And Jorah, who's now 17, was strolled into our family. Here's a picture of Jorah as a baby. Oh, that's the cutest kid ever. The joy that she brought my life and Jen's life. And yet, 
As Jorah's delivery drew near, there was a little side of me that was worried about our hearts spiritually. Isn't that interesting? I thought, Lord, we've gone through a season where we're clinging to you. And now we're entering a season where I could become so enamored with the gift that I forget the giver. And I thought, is this going to be a shift to shallowness spiritually for Jen and I as we enter this season of blessing? And right around that time, I, uh, Jen and I were looking for a name for Jorah. And it was right around that time that we came upon Joel 2.23, the very verse we're studying. Let's go back to it. Joel 2.23, Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains. Jorah, you have to excuse me, we, all of my kids have got weird Hebrew biblical names. Jorah, Janae, even Jake, his real name is Jakin. And they all come out of the Old Testament and they all are rich in meaning. And Jorah translated means autumn rains. And so when we saw that, we said, really, this verse is saying, rejoice in the Lord your God, for he's given you Jorah. And Jen and I are like, that's it. That's the name, and that's the key to how this season of blessing is not going to derail us spiritually. I remember I cried reading a commentary. Commentaries do not usually bring me to tears, but this one was commenting on Joel 2.23. And the commentator said, you have to understand that rains in an agricultural society were viewed as a great blessing from God. And then I'll never forget this line. And he said, the autumn rains were all the more appreciated because they followed the long summer drought. And Jen and I are like, that's it. We've been in a season of drought. And our autumn rain has come. And we appreciate her all the more because of that drought that preceded. And we will thank God and rejoice in Jorah, but mostly we will rejoice in the Lord, for he has given us the autumn rains. Folks, do you live this way? I'm going to give you homework. I know you probably weren't expecting homework and You say, it's summertime, you can't give me homework. Well, I'm going to do it. Here's here's what your homework is. Today, tomorrow, look for blessings from God. Look for them. They're all around. Uh, I'll just maybe jumpstart you and help you out, okay? Like if you see fireworks tomorrow, that's reminding us of our nation. We have got a nation with freedom. Our nation is a gift from God, the freedoms we enjoy. If you eat a hot dog tomorrow, the food you eat is a gift from God. James 1 says, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. All right? If you're with friends and family tomorrow, they're a gift from God. So look for them. When you see them in your mind, you don't have to say anything out loud. You can if you want. Identify them as a gift from God. Say, I know where that came from. He has given me these blessings in my life. Lord, you are the giver. And then turn and rejoice. Celebrate him. God, thank you for my kids. Thank you for my nieces and nephews. Thank you for my health. And thank you for this home. And thank you for this job and this food and this day. And celebrate God. And if you can do this homework and it becomes part of how you think, 
rather than being a pessimistic person that's always looking for what's bad, you will become a person who's always looking for the grace, the goodness of God in the land of the living. And when you find it, you'll say, there it is, there's another one. This is a gift from God. You gave me this, Lord. I recognize you as the giver, and I turn my eyes to heaven, and I celebrate you. Thank you, Father. I love it. And your relationship with God will be deepened, even in seasons of prosperity. So let me leave you with two words, uh, two takeaways from our study here in these final uh, verses in Luke or Joel 2. The two words are repay and rejoice. Just hold on to these, and, and you will live out the vision of these verses. The, the repay is the whole locust year principle, okay? When you're in hardship, when you're wondering, God, do you care? God, do you even see all that I'm losing here? Remember this verse. The Lord will repay for the years that the locusts have eaten. The generous heart of God will encourage you that the day of the end of suffering and the day of repayment is coming. So hang in there. The bobber will drop. And then number two, remember rejoice. When those good days come, Beware, rejoice not in the gift, rejoice in the giver. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Joel. And I guess we'll say thank you for the lessons of the locust swarm. We live in a similar world, God, where the suffering is real, And I know I got some friends who are just in agony right now in this place. Lord, would you speak to them even now? Whisper to them, reminding them that this too shall pass. The stench of the dead locusts and the end of suffering is ahead. And God, I pray that you'll whisper to them that you'll repay that your grace and goodness will be seen in a turn of circumstances where they are more than compensated. God, whisper that. I will repay for the locust years. And then, God, would you also teach us to rejoice in you in good times. God, help us, please, by your Spirit, open our eyes to all of your blessings, God, even today, even tomorrow. Just show us things we don't normally recognize or see. And help us turn to you silently and just celebrate you, the best father in the universe. And God, may we grow closer to you, even in good times. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.